Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the Word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the Word. Today, as compelled by God to have a conversation of one of our biggest fears human beings have, not supposed to be a fear for a child of God, but is one of the biggest fears of human beings across the world. And it is so because we have seen it happen in the lives of people countlessly. And sometimes we sit down in conversations with friends when God has done great things in our lives, like Job one day, he walked with the Lord and then the clock on his life, the secret of God on his life started to bring wonders. He became a wealthy man. Some of you know the story. If you do not know it and you've just joined the faith, go try to read uh, the story of Job. And this man begins a life of prosperity. Bible says he was the most prosperous man in the East. And he was righteous. And then he had children. And then he had animals. He built wealth. Everybody knew the greatness of Job. And that fear that hits many comes upon him one day. And the Bible says, in his own words, that he used to sit down and imagine, how long do I have this wealth? How long do I have these children? How long do I have this glamour, this glory? How long do I have this influence? How long do I carry this wisdom? How long will I have power over men? As it says, when the secret of God was upon him, whenever he spoke, the Bible says, the princes could not speak. Their tongues cleaved to the roof. The old stood up. He had done quite a lot by God. And then that fear comes in his heart. How long will I keep this? And what if this that I have one day goes? Where will I begin from? What will I do? Job himself is quoted saying, the thing that I greatly feared is come upon me. This is Job speaking. And that which I was afraid of is come unto me. He says, I was not in safety. I lived in anxiety. And neither had I rest. That means he lived a restless life. Anxious every day. Neither was I quiet. He says he spoke about it every now and then. Yet trouble came. That means Job was not only afraid 
of what he would lose one day or might or could lose one day. But he also used to take time to voice it out and express it before his own people. What if I woke up one day and this is not working? What if I woke up one day and, you know, how long will I keep this marriage? Some people enter marriage in fear. Yes, I thank God that I'm married. And, and then they play videos of all the possible things that could happen in their marriage. Again, circumspectly to the experiences that they have seen in the lives of others. Or some of the things perhaps that are happening within that marriage. And then that fear comes. How long am I going to keep this marriage? You see, somebody makes a lot of money and looks at the millions on their account or billions. And then he says, how long do I have this? And that fear comes. Is that worry? And I'm not sure whether in 10 years I'll keep this. And then some people build doctrines around that to accept fate and the possibility that that might be the outcome of life. Do you know what they do? Even in their conversations, you know, do this, you never know, tomorrow you might lose it all. Do this, you never know, tomorrow it might all go. Do this, you never know, tomorrow you won't have anything in your hands. You see a certain woman buying land without telling her husband, building herself a house. You never know. You know men. One day, things might change and the man chases you out of his house. Where will you go? You buy yourself a property and then build a secret house. Or if you're humble enough, you tell him. But then you're expecting one day something might work. Go south. Beyond our fears, we even start to provide for that fate. And one of the things that I really, I thank God for is that in my earlier years of understanding the gospel, one of the things that God was so pertinent, he insisted constantly that I should not understand him by how people understand him, that I should understand him according to what he has revealed to me concerning him. You see, it's very simple to live a life where you build many doctrines and traditions in your life and conclude that that is truth and life because maybe some of the people who have gone ahead of you, who perhaps have even done better than you, probably more anointed than you, more wiser than you, assumed, are doing things a certain way, are more qualified in credential than you. And so it seems as though that what they must be doing should be right. And sometimes they are right. But there are also instances where they might be wrong. And some of us are taken by that ship. So I learned early to study the ways of God, the ways of God. If you're talking about circumcision, that is the true circumcision of the heart, the revelation of the ways of God. The Bible says, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Let your eyes observe my ways. I just don't want you to assume of who I am because of what people tell you. Take time to study and observe my ways. But you see, it begins with submitting your heart to the Lord fully. The heart is not fully submitted. In the New Testament, Paul calls it the circumcision of the heart. If the heart is not truly circumcised, fully circumcised in the understanding of faith, 
it is very hard for that man to behold the ways of the Lord. Faith, hope, and love is the perfection of the human heart in its full circumcision. Let me say it more simply. If we're talking about a perfect heart, a fully circumcised heart, this is a man who is perfected in faith, hope, and love. If your heart is not yielded 100%, it is easy for familiar spirits to come and convince you of a way that is not of the Lord. And you find yourself following after that way. And I've seen many people who are destroyed with the very book with which we read every day that is supposed to give us redemption, restoration, and salvation. People are destroyed with the very words. Peter says in one account when he's talking about Paul, how this man is teaching things which many which are unlearned and unstable are twisting because these things are too hard to be understood. He says, this brother Paul is speaking things that are too hard to be understood. And because certain men are unlearned and are inexperienced or unskilled and unstable in the ways of God, whenever these things come into their ears, the Bible says they twist them as other scriptures and to their own destruction. Right there, God has showed you that you might misinterpret scripture and twist it to say what it's not saying and destroy yourself. It is possible. Then the question is, why or how do we destroy ourselves? Where does it begin from? Simple. He said, we are unlearned. People are unlearned and unstable. Unlearned and unstable. So it's one thing to tell you what God says. It's another to teach you how to interpret what God says. You see that? So what learning are we talking about here? We're talking about the foundational truths. The realities that we call foundational. Paul tells us that we shouldn't go back on the laying again of the first things which touch the foundation of the gospel. Things like repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of the resurrection of the dead, the baptisms, the laying on of hands and the eternal judgment. All of these things the Bible says are foundational truths. Now begin, for example, with the first one, repentance from dead works. How many believers in the world understand what it means to have dead works? What are dead works? If we ask what are dead works, do you know many people think dead works are sins? Wrong things? Let me just say. Do you know when we talk about dead works, some people think they're talking about the bad things that you do? No. Dead works are the things that a man does in hope of earning righteousness. Those are dead works. And that man can do all good and still be so wrong with God because he's chosen his way and not the way of God. Otherwise, then why would Paul be born again? He says that when it comes to the righteousness, which is of the law, he says, I was blameless. Before Paul was born again, he was blameless. That fellow was blameless. So why would he need a savior? It's in Philippians. He says concerning the righteousness, which is in the law, I was blameless. But even with that righteousness, which is in the law, blameless, fulfilling all that is necessary in the book, he did not know the way of God. He was a persecutor of the church. He beheld the wrong way. 
That's why in one portion of scripture, he says, I persecuted this way. There was a way he persecuted. Remember when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life? There's a way that Paul persecuted because he chose another way. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout glory to God. Now, talk about faith toward God. How many people were taught to believe God? Do you know how many Christians in the world do not know how to believe God? You can tell a man when they're under pressure. You can tell a man when they're under some sudden attack. That's how you know that some people were never taught to believe. They're told about believing. They understand the context around faith, but they were never taught how to believe. Even with all scriptures that you could give them, they can faint in their day of adversity. The Bible says that if you faint in your day of adversity, your strength was what? It was small. The message version says that if you fall in pieces in a crisis, there wasn't much to you in the first place. But I've seen people fall in pieces in crisis. And God is saying, no, you thought you knew faith, but you did not know faith. You assumed you understood the way of faith, but you never understood the way of faith. You only understood the idea, the notion. It's not a revelation in your spirit. So many of those things, as you continue to study the foundations of things, you realize that it's important, firstly, for somebody to have the right foundation. Because I always tell people, you cannot build a six-level building with a two-level foundation. You get it? You cannot build an eight-story building with a foundation that is meant for two stories. You know what happens? It will crumble. And I was sharing with somebody recently, I said, the mistake many Christians do is, when they build a foundation of two story and then they build eight stories on it and then it crashes, many of them, the mistake they do is they begin again to build the eight and then it crashes and then they begin again to build the eight. How do I know? If you study your personal life, you have tried many things to rebuild a certain area in your life and you only get to a certain place and it's back down, certain place and it's back down, certain place and it's back down. And then you think, ah, I think I need a deeper apostle. I think I need a deeper prophet. I think I need a deeper teacher. The issue is you need, in some instances I've seen, that some people need to really go back to the foundation of things. To rebuild from scratch. Praise the Lord. And forget whatever you know if you learned it wrong. He's a wonderful minister friend of mine who struggled with this church for so many years. And then we met over a cup of tea and I started to open scriptures to him. And when I did, his discovery was, he said to me, I just realized that I began wrong. My foundation of ministry was wrong. So I asked him, what are you going to do? Are you going to build upon what is already broken? Or you're going to allow and go back to that foundation and build this right? See, when it comes to divine speed, and I always want to tell some people and make them understand how God works, the ways of God. It does not matter when you begin. It matters that you begin by Him. Are you following what I'm saying? We're given a parable of a master who hires certain servants in his field. And then some come early morning and they start working. Then others come about midday and they start working. Then others come about 4 p.m. And some come at the last minute. Perhaps it's one or two hours to close. 
And then the master pays them the same amount. So the guys who came in the morning complained and they said, no, uh, uh, uh. why would you pay these guys the same amount you have paid us? Yet we began early and these guys have begun late. What's the question really they're asking God? What should be the question they should ask God? They do not know his ways. They don't know how he works. And they assume that they can hold him on the ways they see the world working and he's not where they are. So he's trying to tell them, look, I don't function and reward the way the world rewards. But also it's a lesson to you that a man can begin late and still be rewarded like a man who began early. Did you get what I just said? If you begin right, it doesn't matter what time you begin. You can wake up tomorrow morning and you have caught up with a guy who has been doing this for 30 years. Come on, somebody. That's the way of God. That's the way of God. So I have been a student of the ways of God. And the more the heart is consecrated, the more the revelation of his ways comes to you. And then it gives you a trajectory of how to see life to pray and fix issues in your life. Otherwise, I see many believers living with that fear. And rightly so, because there are people who have been evidence of that kind of failure. They began well. You've heard of those conversations. Somebody's driving by and they say, ha, that man was rich. Eh? That guy, you see, he had a lot of money. What happened? You know how life is, so they say. So they give it to life. Oh, that woman was a very successful person in this area. And then things happened and then she failed and lost everything in life. And so goes life, they say. And then all people believe that. So one day I'm reading something in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And I read it. And I wanted to explode out of my body. Now you must understand, I have shared this once. That when you study Solomon, then you read his books. You read Proverbs and see the wisdom by which he speaks. Then you go through the songs of wisdom. And then after that, you go to the book of Ecclesiastes. You will realize that his earlier life is clearly depicted when he just found wisdom in Proverbs. Song of songs. These things come when he's still a young man falling in love, discovering women and understanding life as it's supposed to be designed by God. When you get to the book of Ecclesiastes, he writes it when he's an old man. He has walked the journey. He has done everything. He has a t-shirt. He has been tried and tested in every way. Ecclesiastes is the mature version of Solomon. This is a man speaking in maturity. And that's why many a times, I even used to take time to compare Ecclesiastes and Proverbs many times to see how does the thought of this man grow in transition? How does he see life at the beginning of wisdom as a gift, not an experience? Versus when he starts to go through the experiences of life and certain things teach him wisdom, which is not predominantly given him as a gift by the vision that he has by God in a dream. Do you understand that? There's a difference between wisdom that comes to you as a gift. It can tarry and do much in your life but it cannot define a certain authority or function in the things of God until it comes with an experience. Only God can show you. You see, that's why I tell the church, 
that we are from a Solomonic wisdom, we are now in a Messianic wisdom. The Bible says that the queen of the south will judge this generation. Why? Because she came from afar to come and listen to the wisdom of Solomon. But he says, but one with greater wisdom is come, which is who? The Messiah. He's trying to say that the queen of the south would pay more of a price to receive inferior wisdom than people of our days are paying to receive messianic or a superior wisdom. And therein, Matthew says, is some sort of condemnation. Some sort of condemnation. Somebody shout hallelujah. So I used to take time to study. How did he think in Proverbs? How did he think in Ecclesiastes? Why does he transition in thought in this way? Why is it that the man whom God had given wisdom like no man before divides Israel? How did he go with the horse and then bring foreign gods into the very temple? that his father funded to build. And then God departs. How would a man with such wisdom not know the way of God? Because to Solomon, it was a gift. Not that which comes through the experience of a man who has learned to be with God. You get it? Those two kinds of anointings are different. They're different. They're different. So, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the 14th verse, Solomon says, I will read the Amplified. He says that I know that whatever God does, it endures forever. Now I'm trying to heal your fear. He said that whatsoever God does, it endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. And God does it so that men will reverently fear him, revere and worship him, knowing that he is. I want you to underline that word, he is. Remember when the scripture says that they that come to God, they must know that he is. He is God and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He is God, comma, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Even here, that men might revere him and worship him, knowing that he is what makes him God. Whatever he builds is forever. That's the mind of God on your life. So what about those that lose it? Well, it's they which lose it because they know not the ways of God. It's not God which takes it away. I know some of you said, oh, many people, when we lose things, they quote Job. The Lord giveth and the Lord what? Taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But this is not a revelation from God. This is a lamentation of a man who has lost. You see, some people think that everything they read in the Bible is the word of God. Otherwise, you'll even quote what his friends said as the word of God. You see? How do I know? Because the Bible tells us very clearly when Satan comes to God to plead that he'll be given Job, we discover that Job had broken the hedge of his life by his thought life. I have a sermon on that. Some of you should look it up. God tells Satan, look, 
Behold, all that he has is in your hands. You thought that I've kept him? No, there's nothing. He broke the hedge already. Remember, Satan told God that does he worship or love you for nothing? For have you not put a hedge about him and everything that he has? He said, and then God answered and said, Behold, all that he has is what? He's in your hands. This fellow broke the hedge long ago. But I think because Satan knew that this man was hedged in, even when the hedge was off, Satan did not know that the hedge had broken. You get where I'm coming from. So he tells him, all that he has is in your power. Job had already broken the hedge off his life because of his thought life. See, every time you think, it's like, the Bible says that they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercies. It's in Jonah 2.8. It says, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Let me explain this. God has said, I will keep you. I will preserve you. Okay? That's God. He has promised. And then you observe a lying vanity. Okay? You get sick and then start suspecting. You know some of you diagnose yourself with the worst diseases. Even a stomachache runs straight to cancer. You can't discern maybe you have worms. You've not dewormed. I'm a pastor. I pray for people. Somebody say, a pastor, pray for me. Have this stomach pain and I suspect it could be. I say, are you a doctor? No. Have they checked you? No. I just suspect. I say, go deworm. Maybe you have worms. Okay? But when somebody observes cancer before their diagnosis, what does that mean? They have observed a lying vanity. It's not a lie because they've not checked. It's a lie because it's contrary to what God has given them for an inheritance. God has given them divine health for an inheritance. Do you get it? He says, by his stripes, ye were healed. Brethren, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your souls prosper. The inheritance of a new creation is divine health. So you have divine health. Okay? And then you feel that pain and then you think you're sick. You start observing a lying vanity. It's contrary to the word of God on your life. And then you start attending to it. You start googling. You google, you google. You ask every question. You, you read everything about it. You know what you're doing? You are observing lying vanities. And as you observe lying vanities, the Bible says you are forsaking your own mercy. Why? Because you're looking at the wrong thing. When that pain came, all you were supposed to do in the first place was go in the word and get the scripture and find out what the scripture says concerning divine health and then start claiming it and claiming it and claiming it. But you know, we have Christians who are so quick for diagnosis. Everything that pains them, the doctor must tell them. It's a hard truth. It's immaturity. Haya. It's immaturity. So everything that is on your bodies, the doctor must check it. Everything. They must check everything. So I ask them, who checked Methuselah? Come on! Who checked Adam? Who was checking Paul? Do you understand what I'm saying? They don't need to check everything. Some of you check every time. Even when some, you just sleep on your toe pains the next day. Doctor, check this toe. I suspect. I suspect it could be. Then you find some diagnosis. You give it a name already. You are forced. Listen, you will die very early. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to doctors. If you feel you need to go to a doctor, go. But the doctor is not God. Before you go to the doctor, first go to the doctor. 
V capital and say roko badago zilagato sika but I can fix this marakozi why because some of you you miss what god has prepared for you for a testimony and then you run quickly and you know what many people most of the things you go to look for you find them have you noticed most of the things you look for you find them because the bible says seek and you <laughs> shall find <laughs> yeah. praise the lord now back to what i'm trying to tell us here so it's the same thing with job what makes a man who has been blessed by god whom as ecclesiastes has told us that whatever god does and doers forever can sit over a cup of tea and imagine his children dying are you seeing what he's doing he's observing a lying one vanity he's breaking the hedge of his life and so when affliction comes and sudden hits him some people think the lord giveth and the lord what this would contradict why because ecclesiastes is telling me differently it says whatever god gives or does it endures forever nothing can add on it nothing can take away from it nothing it is forever if he say that i've made you a wonder don't ask how long is this star going to shine you know one time one pastor friend told me you know you better start consolidating because you see um such things don't last but he didn't have the scripture You know how some of you swallow hook bait and sink? They tell you something that is not scriptural, but maybe you have seen it by some experience and then you say, "Hmm. No, 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 no. Don't last." One man told me, "These things don't last for more than three years." Now I'm in eight. <laughs> you see where I'm coming from? But yet the scripture that I read is contrary to what he said. The Bible tells me that he shall be as a tree planted by yes and the bible says and his leaves shall not what wither and whatsoever he doeth it shall what even in old age the bible says he shall still bring forth what fruit it is possible to age wealthy because abraham did it and all your fathers did it you are you are part of that story somebody shout hallelujah shout glory to god thank god for the grace to preserve you to the end the bible says in psalm 33 verses 10 the lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught or nothing he maketh the devices of the people of none effect but verses 11 says but the counsel of the lord standeth forever the thoughts of his heart are to all generations anything that sets itself against you listen to what god has said anything that sets itself against you he says it shall be brought to nothing do you know why because before it set itself against you god had already set counsel over you before they attacked you he had already chosen you oh, 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 oh. before that this is thought to come he had already shed his blood for you don't you understand this So it's the way of the devil versing the counsel of God. That's what it is. That's what you should look at when you think of any attack that comes your way. That's how you should see it. See this thing trying to cancel out what God established eternally because the mind of God in the way he establishes things is always eternal. 
He always has an eternal purpose in everything that he establishes. It's not temporal. It's not short term. You're not in school just to go to school. No. When you went to school, there was a purpose to be fulfilled. When you entered that marriage, there was a purpose to be fulfilled. When you went to that job, there was a purpose to be fulfilled. You can transition in progress and promotion, but the counsel of God still stands on your life that what I have made up my mind to do on your life is supposed to be forever. The giftings and callings of God are without repentance. They're without repentance. They're without repentance. I wish you understand that power. A friend of mine one time called me and lost a lot of money, a lot of money. And then he went in depression and fell sick. And then he called me for a cup of tea and said, I want to bleed. I've lost all my money. And I spoke in my heart. I said, God, I know to answer, but what do I answer? Give me the word. And the Lord gave me this word, which I told this fellow. The Lord told me to tell him, believe in the power that made you in the first place. Believe in the power that made you in the first place. And understand that if God began that good work in you, he shall see to accomplishment to the day of Christ. Let me explain what that means. You shouldn't have gone to school in the first place but you went to school. And then you reached in the middle and then failed to get tuition. Believe in the power that admitted you and registered your name in school as a student of that university. Somebody shout hallelujah. Oh, pastors, it was okay if you had not yet started the ministry, but you began through thick and thin, it could have been hard, it would have been unbearable. These are things that you didn't even calculate. Some of us entered the gospel when we didn't even feel ready, we didn't even want to be on the altar. We preferred other professions. But the fact that you entered in and God allowed for you to stand to proclaim his name, believe in the power that began that work. And remember that he that began that could work in you. His counsel abides and he shall fulfill it to the day of Christ. Somebody shout hallelujah. How many women are married? And how many are not married? There are more women unmarried than they are married. And then you walked on that altar. And then they put a ring on your hand. Remember the power that separated you from single women and put that raiment on you and told you that you are married now and you stopped looking like a single woman. I don't care what is shaking in your house. Believe in that power that began it. And trust God that he that began that good work in you, he shall see to accomplishment to the day of Christ. That's why you did that master's degree. There was a purpose to it. You didn't do it so you'd fail to find a job. Believe in the power that sent you for that master's. Because there's a man out there who could not do that master's. There's somebody who asked for a sponsorship. They asked and tried to work hard, but they failed to get it. But you entered that classroom, got a pen, and you got an idea that rejected you as a student of that master's degree class. Believe in that power. Somebody shout hallelujah. Yes, believe in that power that first hired you even when they were not paying you. Some of you, even the fact that they could see that you can volunteer. 
See, you might despise it, but the Bible says, but God does not despise humble beginnings. Understand his ways. Understand his ways. God does not despise humble beginnings. The fact that they could even say, maybe you can volunteer. Even the fact that you could enter there and they do not pay you a pay, but they can still see that you can be of some use. Believe in the power that made you a volunteer. Listen, we have been volunteers. We have worked like everybody else. But it began from somewhere. Even if they don't pay you, you're better than a man who has never gotten a job. I swear. You are. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me you are. Why? Because that door once opened. Somebody shout hallelujah. In Luganda, we have this proverb that amazi Meaning, water flows where it has flown before. Where it has flowed before. If it went through, it can still go through. Somebody said, hallelujah, glory to God. If it worked then, it can work now. Oh! Don't underestimate the power of the word. Recently, a woman came to me. She was giving me a testimony. One of those days I'm preaching. And then I get a word of knowledge for her. Her husband had left. One year, two years, three years. Never stepped home. Five, ten years. Never stepped home. Twelve years, fifteen years, sixteen years, seventeen years, twenty years, twenty-two years. Had never stepped in his house. And I get this word of knowledge. And when I speak, this woman says. As God has spoken it, as God has spoken it, I am taking it. She came this week and told me, after 22 years of her husband leaving, he came back home a born again man. I'm talking of the power that can change things that you never thought can be changed. I'm talking about the anointing that can reverse things that you never thought can be reversed. Now to him which is able to do exceedingly abundantly above that which you dare to ask or think according to the working power that worketh in us mightily. Let me prophesy upon your life that may that which seems impossible Come back by the very power that brought it in the first place. Shout amen. With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. If you've ever had money before, you can have it again. Listen. If it has ever worked before, it can work again. If you have ever walked in a miracle, it can happen again. Sometimes in prayer, I provoke God by what he has done before. These guys know. You remember when we were in Gulu, I said, God, I've seen you grow teeth. Do it again. Do it again. That's the power I'm talking about. I said, God, do it again. And people started growing teeth. Why? Because he has done it before. Whatever God has done, he can repeat. Glory to God. 
I said whatever God has done before, he can repeat. He can repeat. He can repeat. He can bring that joy again. He can rebuild you again. He can restore you again. He can reconstruct you. He can believe in the power that began it. Nothing is going to hold you back. Listen, this is the counsel of God. The fact that he said, I have called you Grace Rubega to be an apostle. No man, no man, no man, no man, no man. No Facebook document, no WhatsApp video, no preaching over a camera, nothing, nothing, nothing can break what God put on my life because I know who began it. That's why I don't answer my critics because they're in the past tense. Somebody shout hallelujah. Nothing, you can write all you want, build all you want, talk all you want, do research all you want, I'll still be here. Fanero will still grow. It will increase and multiply because the things God does, they are forever. I said the one who called you is faithful. Somebody shout hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. That's why I pity anything that tries to stop you. Because God has promised that it shall be brought to nothing. His counsel over you must prevail. Somebody shout hallelujah. Isaiah chapter 46 verses 9. He says, remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is none else. He says, I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. He declares the end from the beginning. He declares the end from the beginning. He declares the end from the beginning. He declares the end from the beginning and from the ancient the things that are not yet done. In other words, when you started your school, he had already declared the end of how you'd finish it. When you started your marriage, he had already declared the end of how it should finish. When he called you to ministry, he had declared how you'd... That is the way of God. You will not fall. You will not fail. No. The devil is a liar. You will make it. Let God be true and every man a liar. Yes. This is what the word of God says. He said you will make it. You will make it. You will make it. Sink it in your head. Go back in your room and say, but no, I have ever done this before. Ah, this worked. God said it. I might have not seen the manifestation, but I remember that time when I was praying alone and God told me I would make you a wonder. I have opened nations to you. You might have not yet seen them, but remember that he said it. He declared the end from the beginning. When he said I began a good work, he had also guaranteed its end. Hallelujah. That's why the Bible says, and now, brethren, let us consider the suffering of Job. For we have seen the end of the Lord. Read James 5.11. Behold, the Bible says, we count them what? Happy. Which what? Endure. You have heard of the word, the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord. You have, yeah, yeah, listen, the end 
of the Lord. You have seen the end of the Lord. You have seen the end. Even in his mistakes, God still had to replace him double. Do you know that in your very own mistakes, God can actually reveal his end and multiply whatever the devil took? Listen, no man, no man. It doesn't matter how much positions they have in the world. It doesn't matter how much power they have. It doesn't matter how many guns they have. It doesn't matter how much. No one, no one, no one, no one can stand in the way of the counsel of God on your life. No one. I was in university preaching. And then I went to St. Francis and the St. Francis building filled and people overflowed up to outside. And then one man came to me and said, I've never seen this. Then he got an ID and he held a very big position somewhere in one of the organs of this nation and introduced himself. And then he put his card in his pocket and told me, your days in universities have come to an end. He told me, your days in university have come to an end. Then he started to list the powers that are behind him and the people that have to make sure that I leave university ministry. And I told him, by the time you came to me, what's operating on you should know or must know who I am. Then I told him, like you have promised me, let me also promise you. I told him, one day, I'll be on a funeral service and preach about you. And I'll be in Makere and all the universities of this country preaching the gospel. And by the time I be there, you'll be nowhere. 2022, he's nowhere. And we have a fellowship in every university of this country. I fulfilled my promise. Because the counsel of God on your life cannot be stopped by anything. Nothing can stop you. You will progress. I am prophesying to you. You will progress. Whether the economy is for you or against you. Whether events are working for you or against you. You will make it. In Jesus mighty name. In Jesus mighty name. That's just the way of God. Will I lose it? No, you'll not. But if you do, you can still find it. I wish I was talking to ministers only. I would tell them that there is a principle in the spirit realm called how to find God when you've lost Him. And if you don't understand how it works, you cannot preserve what operates on your life. You must know the way back. You must know how to find what you have lost. Because with God, He has not taken it. You've just lost it. You reconstruct and rebuild. See, some people don't know that that was the secret with David. David knew how to find it's almost as though in the mistake he did with Uriah and his wife, you'd almost think that was the end of that man's destiny because we saw many men in scripture 
who messed up like that and never came back. But David knew how to break before God. He knew the way of God. He knew. He knew. He knew that there's a place I know that if I go, he will remember his covenant with me. You must understand the power that chose you because many are called, but few are chosen. Don't think that there's anything coming your way that is shocking God. Oh, they fired you. I'm so shocked. God ain't shocked. He saw that firing and still chose you. He saw that sickness and still chose you. He knew that if it's in your body, you can't live for five years. But he chose you for something that would require you to be on the earth for 60 or 70 years more. The only difference is here, you have to make the choice either to lean and connect to what he called you for. You'll not have to worry about what's in that body. He can restore it. That's just the way of God. Don't think that because you've got an incurable disease, therefore the cancer of God on your life is done. No! He can see it with all of that and still say, I have said my counsel shall stand forever. My counsel shall stand forever. Nothing can take away from it. You can't take away from it. You as an individual, you can say, I've refused. I've refused. But nothing outside you and God in that covenant can take it away. Nothing. Except you. When he said, I've called you, he meant it. He knows who you are. He knew your weaknesses and your strengths. Don't think you surprise him. You don't act before him. He knows your heart. He knows how crazy you can be. He knows. Please don't fool God. Don't play. Don't play. Don't play. Don't play. You know, some of you have ways where you go to God and then you act like he's not seeing. He sees everything. He says, crazy girl, I still chose you. Then we shall deal with these issues. Unless you wake up and say that, ah, I think I'm not worth this. You see, you can refuse it. You can disconnect from it. I've seen people who have died because they said no to what God gave them, to what God prepared for them, to what God aligned and arranged ready for them. Yeah, you chose to reject what he gave you. But he didn't take it away. He didn't take it away. He does not take it away. He does not take it away. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout glory to God. Refuse any voice that is contrary to what God has spoken in his word concerning you. I hear the spirit of the Lord tell me that there are people here at the sound of my voice. God is going to rebuild you. He's going to rebuild even the most broken spaces. The things you thought cannot be reversed are being reversed under this anointing. And he is saying, my counsel shall stand forever. When he chose David, the Bible says he gave him the kingdom and his sons to come by a covenant of salt. And he told him, if your boys go off the way, he said, I will discipline them 
This is what God tells David. If they go off, he says, I will discipline them and restore them, but I will never take it out of your house. That is why I tell people, even with the greatest mistakes you have made, come back in the presence and sit. Even when you mess yourself up, come back in the presence and tell God, I'm crazy, but I'm here. Deal with me. I have my madness, but I'm here. Present yourself and just stay present. He will deal with all of that nonsense and take it out of your life. But never disconnect from the presence. However weak you are, come with your weakness. However mad you are, however crazy the world you're in is, still come and say, God, I know I'm crazy, but I still trust the counsel that you have over my life. Deal with me, I am here. Let me tell you, there is no transformation like staying in the presence of God. That's what David discovered. That is why even after that messing up and the judgment befalls him, and Absalom turns Israel against him, and David knew that they were going to kill him, the moment he gets his wives to run away, the first thing he got was the covenant box, the presence, and then he took with him the priest. Because David doesn't need a country. He would lose a kingdom. He would lose all the gold. He would lose all, lose all the silver. But what he could not lose was those two. The Ark of the Covenant and the priest, Zadok. And you know what? The Hebrew word Zadok means one that imputeth righteousness. Those are the two things that he carries when he's chased out of Israel. Absalom is telling them, this man is not a king. He killed a man once and took his wife. Then he speaks all this stuff and then turns Israel against him. And one day, the very people he bled for, sweated for, was ready to die for, turned their, heart, their hearts against him. They turned for Absalom. And then they, 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 they wanted to kill him. David, he knew, as long as I can keep the presence, as long as I understand the righteousness that has been imputed unto me by faith and not of works, Zadok is with me. Eventually, if you read the scripture, that very God brought David back to his throne, not by power, not by might, but by his spirit. Lose anything, but never lose the place that he has gone. Never lose the place of his presence. Lose anything, but never lose. As long as you can still keep that place and you know how to break and bend and die before him. As long as you can go to that altar for that sacrifice. And just as long as you just understand his heart concerning his covenant with you, you'll be amazed at how much God is pitiful. You remember the Bible says, the end of the Lord that he is what? In James, he is pitiful and tender of mercy. Why would there have been pity and mercy on Job if Job had not done something wrong? Job had broken the hedge. But even in his indifference, God still says, this is my end. I intend that I'll restore this man and rebuild him. You will be fine. Trust the word of God. Raise your voice and thank God. I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails.
fails me. Talk to God. All my days have been held in your hand. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, oh, I will see all the goodness of God. Come and raise your voice. Let's talk to him. Talk to God. You have been so, so of God has been revealed tonight the ways of God has been shown you tonight and with every conviction in my heart I believe that every voice every assumption every accusation every guilt conscience that had deceived you to think that God is done with you I have come against that word right now 
with the very truth that God gives you tonight that he began a good work in your life and he will see to accomplishment to the day of Christ his counsel over you shall stand his call over you shall stand his ministry over you shall stand his anointing over you shall stand his vision over you shall stand the grace over you shall stand his grace will uphold you to the end his power will preserve you to finish well in jesus name we pray and believe give him a mighty hell of a praise Jesus thank you Lord it is done it is done it is done let me tell you I don't take whether it's a dream prophecy prophelai whatever they call it if it's contrary to what God has counseled over my life I don't care who brings it I don't take it I don't take it because I know what he has said concerning my life and let me tell you this thing preserves it keeps you it keeps you it keeps you hallelujah if you're here and you have never given your life to Christ I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior those of you who say you know what today I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior Please repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Today, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.